Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the 14th Wiki Game Guides Comcast. I am Simon Wu, and joining me today is the lovely Alex Miller. Uh, how are you, sir? I'm doing quite well, Simon. Thanks for that introduction. Yes, yeah, so let's get started right off the bat with our community callback segment. Our first comment from the last podcast was from Darth Skeletor. Interesting name. And he writes... Another great podcast. I think, however, that Steam has too many exploits. If you see many games that have Steam authentication methods, like one of my favorites, Empire Total War, there are plenty of cracked versions to be found on the internet. Also, I would like to see two controllers be the new standard for the 720 and PS4 as well as possibly the new half-terabyte drive we now see on the refreshed PS3. It should also have USB 3.0, and if they are really crazy and want to be innovative, maybe even have the top of the console be a wireless charging pad for the controllers. Well, Simon, we can all dream. Um, but honestly, I guess we'll start with the end of that comment and work our way back up to the top. I mean, all of those ideas sound awesome. Uh, maybe some more of them more far-fetched than others. I don't know if we'll see the, the built-in charging pad, however neat that would be. But as, uh, as, far, as, it, as far as the uh, half-terabyte drives go, I think it's much more likely at least getting something in that ballpark, what with larger file sizes, larger saves, things like that. I think we'll probably see something close to that, if not having that 500 gig hard drive. And USB 3.0, I think, is definitely doable, if not necessary. Yeah, definitely. Uh, wireless charging is an interesting one. It's kind of been one of those technologies that's it's there, but it, it doesn't. we don't really see much of it, except every so often there's a new pad that you can charge more smartphones on. Yeah, it's sort of been relegated to the gimmick technology zone. It's not really a mainstream. Lots of people looking at it and, oh, what's the next big advancement in wireless charging? It's just sort of, oh, neat kind of thing. Although I do, I do think he has a very good point with two controllers being the new standard. I think that's just something that you're going to want to jump in for. With so many games now having multiplayer, better co-op, I mean four-player co-op being the norm to be honest, um, two controllers, just you always have one for if a friend comes over. I have, I cannot think of any person who games completely alone like that. Yeah, I mean, even if it was like a wired controller or something, just, you know, maybe not top-of-the-line controller, but just an extra input device so that you could actually play multiplayer out of the box, I think in this next generation that's definitely going to be much more, I guess, likely, you could say, versus the when the Xbox 360 came out and the PlayStation 3 came out, because multiplayer has taken off the way it has in this current uh, console generation. 
Okay, let's see about his top point, which is about uh, the Steam authentication methods and the fact that a lot of games are still being cracked. I think, uh, well, Steam is working, or Valve, rather, is working on this by trying to create their own walled garden, in effect, because you have them, you saw uh, that this week they were starting to take beta testers for their special Linux build, I believe, and also we heard a few weeks ago that they're trying to figure out their own hardware, which is really ironic to me and amuses me greatly because Gabe Newell slammed Windows 8 as a catastrophe for being a walled garden in the interests of safety and user-friendliness, and so therefore he decided to kind of de-emphasize Windows, and instead he went to Linux, which he is now trying to make into a walled garden with its special hardware, Valve hardware, for Steam. Yeah, it's kind of funny how those things work, Simon. And I think also this gets back to your point that really authentication methods, especially the really annoying online, got to jump through a million hoops and then, you know, fly through this ring of fire, whatever. All of those things only hurt the people who legitimately purchase something. Because, like it says here, you can just pirate a game and get a crack and it's honestly easier to play out of the box than it would be if you went out and illegally purchased it. Now, I mean, you couldn't play multiplayer, have the online things, you couldn't get your Steam achievements, but if that's not really a priority for somebody, then, you know, there's nothing holding them back other than, I don't know, morals. So our next podcast comment is going to be from Soul Affliction. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, another great podcast. Yes, DRM punishes the legitimate buyers. It's even more annoying than all those messages you get when watching a DVD or Blu-ray. As a pirate, you would just get the movie and no message about how your soul is going to suffer eternal torture if you pirate the movie. In my opinion, Steam is a nice DRM tool, but since I'm kind of a Steam fanboy, I guess my opinion on the, that matter is bias. They'll probably force us to wear explosive neck collars if they catch us with pirated software. They just press the big red button. No, but seriously, I don't see a way to make DRM more annoying. After all, there's only so much they can do. I hope more devs and publishers try to offer more stuff to, to, for buyers to encourage them to buy their game, just like they did with The Witcher 2. Even the normal edition had stuff that would put most collectors' editions to shame. At least I think it was the normal edition. So, you know, uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, pat Soulflexion on the back there. Well done for uh, admitting to being a fanboy. That's the, the first step to recovery. But, uh, but honestly, I, I mean, I feel like I've sort of been knocking on Steam a little bit. I very much like the platform. I'm just was a little have had some uh, some annoying run-ins with uh, their online authentication, etc., etc. But I mean, Simon, he makes a makes a couple of good points here, but I would caution against saying that there is not a way they can make DRM more annoying. There is always a way they can make it more annoying. It it, it can always go downhill. Yeah, and it can always go downhill very fast, whereas it can only go uphill very, very, very slowly. Now, I think he had a very good point about putting more stuff into each edition. And, I mean, we're obviously seeing, we talked about this, limited editions uh, on a podcast a long time ago. But um, if they, we're suffering from limited edition 
I guess, inflation in that we're just seeing these more grand, grand, ridiculous stuff being piled in. And it really started, I think, with the legendary edition of Halo 3. Now you've got the prestige edition of Modern Warfare, so on and so forth. But um, those, those pieces of plastic, whatever it may be, does not cost very much at all for the game publisher to just throw in there. And so what if they just made a little more stuff standard? That would appeal to a person like me to just buy the thing, get the tiny little thing, um, for no more than you've been paying previously. It sounds like a great deal, right? You're getting limited edition fare for standard edition prices. What's not to love? Yeah, and uh, we sort of we s- split the discussion of this comment up into two bits because as uh, Soul Fluxion has so often done for us, and we love him for doing it, he has uh, quite a bit to say often. So on to the next subject. Uh, he writes, Yes, I think Nintendo should make the Wii U cheaper. It's just not good enough to justify being so expensive. If I'd use the money to upgrade my PC, I would certainly have more fun with it in the end, and not only because I really don't like most Nintendo games. I think the next console should come at 200 euros complete with two sets of controllers, at least 250 gigabyte disk space, and one game to get people hooked. That might seem a bit cheap, but considering the billions they'll make by selling games, I guess they can afford to lose the money on the console alone. Like we said last week, consoles are always going to be loss leaders. In today's market, you're not going to make a profit on the console, and so it doesn't make sense to. If you can at least try and approach breaking even on each console, you're going to make so much money off the games you sell if you make a good product. Now, the point Soulfluxion makes about upgrading their PC maybe not entirely fair to the Wii because, as at least I wrote in our most recent short takes, the Wii should be catering to an audience that's not exactly the same as hardcore gamers. They need to be catering to an audience where they can use the sort of the gimmick, the neat little thing of having that special controller with a second screen and try and create games that revolve around that, not have, you know, Assassin's Creed 3 or what have you just on a poorer system. Yeah, so... Two sets of controllers, I think that's absolutely key. Uh, 250 gigabytes of disk space, also very good. One game, um, I would say, I would add something to that and say one AAA title game. Because it could come with, what, like Bejeweled or Tetris or some kind of just throwaway arcade game. And that, that fails to be an incentive whatsoever, I think. Now, if it's like, comes with FIFA 13... Oh hell yes, I'll buy it. Comes with Halo Four. Uh huh. I'll 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 get that right now. And absolutely, lost leader. But if you have a game like FIFA Thirteen or Halo Four, I guarantee you selling it for sixty bucks. Not to mention the limited editions and peripherals, sales, co- limited edition consoles, so on and so forth. You will certainly make back that money and more. And it only gets better as the production methods get more efficient at making that product. It allows you to drop the price significantly, which is what, given the high price of the Wii U right now, I pray happens very quickly now so that they can stay ahead of the next generation Xbox and PlayStation. 
Well, for Nintendo's sake, I think we have to hope that that price can drop quickly, because otherwise, I don't see any possible way they can compete. Yes, yeah, so now we have our short takes from September 21st. Uh, John Tarr, his excellent Most Serene Holiness, writes in about the comment that Microsoft f hired a former CBS executive to develop original content for the Xbox. And he says, easiest job in the world. Buy out Rooster Teeth, make all of their content exclusive to the Xbox. Huge Christmas bonus. Now we can pipe dream for a while, and I know he was being a little facetious there, but uh, that's <laughs> I wish they did that, because I would love to have Rooster Teeth be exclusive content for the Xbox. Though, to be fair, Simon, A, we all know Rooster Teeth would never do that, because they have such a large fan base across many consoles. Though, to be fair, there's probably a slight Xbox lean a uh, slight xbox tilt to their standard crowd but you know uh, i th i think i think it's better the the way it is now but in re uh on the subject of what he was talking about i do hope that we do see some actual content coming out of this executive because like we said before could be some good stuff if they do it right so uh next is Darth Skeletor saying I'm really sad to see the guys from Bioware go, because almost all of their games were huge parts of my life growing up, and I would still play KOTOR if it weren't incompatible with Windows 7. And real quick, I would just like to correct Darth Skeletor that, in fact, KOTOR is compatible with Windows 7. I have a Windows 7 laptop at the moment, and during the Steam Summer Sale, I was fortunate enough to pick up one of my favorite games of all time for very low price, very happy with that, and I have been playing it on my Windows 7 computer. So, I don't know when the last time you tried it was, but I don't know if they've done some sort of update or something else, but it's working now, so uh, give it a shot. Uh, I would like to uh, kind of, I don't know, say that disclaimer on that statement, that is the Steam version that has somehow been retrofitted to be compatible with Windows 7. The retail disk version that we all own uh, does not work anymore. Which is why you should get the Steam version when it's super cheap on sale. Fair dues. All right, let's see. The 928 short takes, John Tarr again. He says, I completely forgot that Mass Effect 1 was published by Microsoft. That's a pretty badass collector's edition for only $59.99. Despite the lackluster ending in Mass Effect 3, I would highly recommend this, uh, buying this to anyone who has managed to not play this franchise. And with that said, as far as the, uh, the ending to Mass Effect 3 goes, Simon, I don't know if they've uh, announced anything on this, but I would assume that this edition would probably ship with the, uh, the new ending just probably just incorporate it in, probably not uh, as an extra. I sure hope so, pray for their sakes. And that's an interesting question that I posed in the short takes. Will this come with all of the DLC that eventually shipped for all of these games? I think Mass Effect 3, it might not, because they might still be making more DLC for it by the time this comes out. I don't know. Uh, but will it incorporate... Lair of the Shadow Broker, Arrival, 
all of these things, um, Pinnacle Station for Mass Effect 1, because those added so much to the game, and it seems like if you're trying to go for the complete experience, they would be a vital part of it. Don't let people find this on their own. And for God's sake, please include Javik. Do not have that still stuck out there as extra DLC. People think they're buying the complete edition, and if it doesn't come with that, it will not be the complete definitive edition. Thank you. Yeah, and I mean, as, as I also said in the short takes, I'm not entirely sure it'll come with all the DLC, because uh, that's a bit hopeful to get all three of the games, plus their DLC for that conveniently low price of a penny less than $60. But if it came with it, I think it'd be really awesome because it does add so much to the story. Because I remember in my playthrough of Mass Effect 3, I was towards the end of it, I ran into a character that I'd interacted in DLC in Mass Effect 1. And it just brought everything back together. And it's just things like that that just incorporate this. And if they are going for that all-encompassing this is the epic saga of Mass Effect, of Commander Shepard, in this one box. They need to have that at least as an additional extra, but just have that as an option to go along with it. So uh, next, on the same short take, we have a comment from Rare Daniel 46 saying, I might pick that Mass Effect up since I have, since I have never played it before. Thanks for letting me know about it. Not a problem. We, uh, we hope to educate as well as pose questions here on the uh, on the Comcast so we're uh, g- glad you were able to uh, find that in our short takes segment and uh, yeah go ahead and definitely check it out because if you haven't played the first game as I said playing it before the other two just makes the experience so much more full so much better and so Darth Skeletor closing out our comments section this week he says, why would Sony want to keep dragging us along unless they planned for the PS4 to cost an insane amount like last time? I think that you would want to move everyone along as quickly as possible to the latest and greatest thing, given how the tech industry works these days. And yeah, it's, it's what I would call the iPhone effect, probably. Just that we don't know why this is better or why we're standing in this line for hours and hours to get the new thing but it's like newer than the one I have so it's got to be better right and I have to go get it that's kind of the pervading mentality along consumer electronics these days and I think they should take advantage of that I don't think Nintendo really has uh, taken advantage of that to its fullest extent Sony rather Sony and then also Nintendo with the Wii U. Sorry, I didn't make that delineation clear. I think Nintendo right now has not done an effective job of marketing the Wii U. But we'll get to that in a second. Indeed we shall. But before we do, we're going to go ahead and read an email that we got. You guys can go ahead and send us an email whenever you want. Simon, you want to let them know what that email address is? Yeah, really quickly, uh, just the way we get this segment, this segment runs, is we collect all the feedback that we receive from you guys. So that's either commenting in a post, leaving an iTunes review, or sending us an email, uh, tweeting at us. I'm twitter.com slash WGG underscore SWU. 
Alex's twitter.com slash WGG underscore R-A-M. And our email address is game-insight at outlook.com. Yep, so this email, the uh, subject line was, On Live Defiant, we have to prove the business. And as is our policy, this person did not want their name mentioned, so we're going to go ahead and withhold that. But they write, I know that you now have the short takes for looking at recent news as it happens, but here's one thing that you didn't include that I thought fit your podcast talk on On Live very well. Despite a complete reshuffle inside and all that bankruptcy business, they're trying to put forth a face that is business as usual as possible. And they mentioned that as a standalone business, it is yet to make a profit, and that will be exceedingly hard. This reminded me of what you were saying about companies like Microsoft or Sony buying it, making it a component of their service. However, you perhaps didn't know it because it was kind of under the radar, but Sony bought Gaike. Is that, is that correct, Simon? Gaikai? Gaikai. Oh, my pronunciation is always terrible. Anywho, a cloud gaming service in July. And Microsoft, as you reported, signed a deal with... Simon, just go ahead and save me from butchering this one. Agawi? For similar purposes. Thus, those two main candidates are out of the running. It could still be somebody like Nintendo, Apple, or even Amazon, as another listener suggested. The story then went on to say that Sony's purchase of Gaikai... Set was a sign that this model has promise. My only question is, is it only viable with the extensive infrastructure and existing user base that Sony or Microsoft can bring to the table? Also, I remember on the first podcast and another one later on, you spent an entire topic talking about one game. With all the news about the Wii U now settling down, can you give your thoughts with that similar complete analysis? Um, Yes, so our first response to the first thing is that um, we've mentioned this before, but I really do feel as if you require other aspects of business to be able to leverage a completely new division. And I think that Sony and Microsoft certainly have that, and they've had to rely on that extensively in order to just even get this current generation of consoles out there as in force as they have. Yeah, I think we made this point when we were comparing... Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo because of the extensive resources Microsoft and Sony have from their other components of their business. For Sony, that being computers, TVs, etc. Microsoft, obviously, with their their software and and other computer ventures, whereas Nintendo didn't have that. So I, I do think it is necessary to have those outside uh, resources, as do you, Simon, to be able to get these services going. Yeah, and in response to the second question, we are taking a complete, complete look at the uh, Wii U this week. That's going to be one of our topics, and it's going to take up a lot of time. We're really going in-depth, scrutinizing every point. Um, So we're going to then close out the community callback section so that we can get to it. But first, um, interstitial is our Dixical segment, where we talk about what kind of games we've been playing since we've recorded the last podcast. Yep, so I have been uh, busy working lately, but I was able to fit in a little bit of time with some Borderlands, the uh, the original, catching up on that. So I had quite a bit of fun with that. Simon, how about you? I am playing Black Mesa, 
continuing my playthrough of that. I think I'm pretty close to the end now, and I have been playing a ton, a ton, a ton of FIFA 13. Just nonstop playing it. Oh, actually, that does remind me. I did actually get uh, a game of FIFA 13 in yesterday. I've uh, been unable to access my Xbox lately, so I haven't been able to buy it, but my friend came through and uh, was able to sit down and uh, play a couple matches with him, so I had a ton of fun with it so far. Did you win? I did, actually, playing as Liverpool. Excellent. Okay, let's move on then and continue to our main segment this week is Do we love the Wii U? Do you? So, this week we're going to take as I said, an exhaustive look at all the aspects of the Wii U in great depth. So what we refer to as that is hardware, which is both specs of the device itself, as well as the controllers, peripherals, accessories. The software, the games, and the services, those kind of all fit into a similar category. Marketing and sales. And then our kind of final thoughts in the run-up to the November launch. So, the hardware specs, here's what we know for sure. It has an IBM PowerPC multi-core processor. Beyond that, they have not disclosed anything, like how many cores it has, how fast it is, bus speed, so on and so forth. All, that's all we know. But we do know that one of the most critical pieces of information that we we're all collectively holding our breaths about, wondering, hoping, is what the following developer is quoted as saying. Quote, One of the weaknesses of the Wii U compared to the PS3 and Xbox 360 is that the CPU power is a little bit less. Simon, that's kind of a scary thought for Nintendo considering that this is their next-gen console. This is what they will be offering up for the foreseeable future as an alternative to Microsoft and Sony's next offerings. Now, the fact that it can't really compete with the current models means something's wrong here if they're going to try and compete on the same games and the same playing field. Yeah, I mean, in a generation, the Wii, the original Wii, had processing power a lot less than the 360 or PS3, and now we're bringing it to a little less, only for it to be a lot less powerful than the PS4, the next Xbox. And that's a tremendous problem. But uh, we'll get to the analysis in a second. I just want to finish rattling off these specs so we can talk about them. It has an AMD Radeon HD GPU. Again, we don't know the exact specs, so how much GDDR RAM it has or anything like that. It has two gigabytes of RAM, one set aside for games and the other set aside for system software. Either eight gigabytes of storage for the basic model, the white, or 32 for the black deluxe edition. And they have said it is expandable through SD cards or USB flash drives, external hard drives. Now here's actually a good sign. The discs are a proprietary high-density format for up to 25 gigabytes of data that they can contain. And so we'll get to how this affects the software 
and games in that particular section. But it's just, you see from these specs a failure to catch up sufficiently to the Xbox and PlayStation, and that's going to drag them down. And given these specs also, I know a handful of smartphones and a lot of tablets that are more powerful and higher spec than this console. And so my only bright spots on this is that memory is flash and not physical, which will help slightly because it's not a bunch of spinning platters, right? You have the Xbox hard drive. That's a, a normal hard drive. And it's still not my ultimate dream of a console at some point in the future, which will be glorious. It will ship with a SATA 3 SSD, and life will be good. But alas, not yet. And the most substantial improvement here, though, in specs is the, the disk, which is 20, up, holds up to 25 gigabytes. I'm not so thrilled about the proprietary standard part, but um, why? Because it might be able to make some of the slack by cramming more data on a single disk. Now, it, it has more data on the disk, but will the device, will the console have enough power to process all that additional data? That's, that's questionable. It's still dwarfed by the maximum Blu-ray capacity, which is a ridiculous 128 gigabytes, which I, on another subject, fully expect Sony to leverage in PS4, have like ridiculously ultra-high graphics games and high-detailed games on a single disc. And this 25 gigabytes also, in turn, dwarfs the Xbox's conventional DVD dual-layer format, which can store only 8.5 gigabytes of information, which is why you see with the Xbox double and now even triple discs becoming the norm for games because it's the people are just developers are just cramming more and more assets, information, code into a game, and it's... Uh, it's just becoming too much for one disc, two discs to handle. Yeah, one thing though, Simon, do have to point out the fact that you are comparing next-gen console to current-gen there because we don't know what the next Xbox is going to be using for its discs. So it does pass the current Xbox in one category, but not sure how long it's going to be able to hold that title. Yeah, and Nintendo responded to the concerns about storage space by saying that, oh, you can, you can put in an SD card or just plug in a flash drive or a hard drive, but these are all added costs, which we'll get to in greater detail in the peripheral section. Um, now, before we move on to the peripheral section, I know that the reason these specs are low is to keep the price low, but it's still about the same as the Xbox and a little more than the original Wii. I think if they were truly serious about hardcore gamers, they would have given us a big spec bump. Great graphics. If it's $100, $150 more, okay, fine. We've taken it. Because we're so antsy waiting for the next Xbox or the next PlayStation. We're just holding our breath, just waiting for them to get any news about it out whatsoever and if this delivered what we were expecting i would have given a serious thought about it but instead they gave us something that's 
very extraordinarily mediocre, right? Costs a little bit more, specs a little bit lower. It's just this awkward middle spot. Yeah, and Simon, I remember listening to uh, actually an episode of Two Chimps on a Davenport, uh, the official podcast of this great website that hosts us, Wiki Game Guides. And I remember, I think it was John talking about a book he was reading about this guy whose personal philosophy was he would either buy the best or worst of something, never go in between, either, either go all out or just get something super cheap, disposable, didn't matter. The thing is here, if the Wii had, or sorry, if Nintendo had gone ahead and just charged that extra hundred, but really put in the uh, the materials and things like that that would have made it worth that, I definitely think it could have been, if not top of the line, very close to being a top of the line product, especially in the intermediary between uh, now and when the next uh, Xbox, next PlayStation comes out. That could have given them a serious advantage in gaining some market share. However, because they didn't do that, we kind of have this midway point between not great, not terrible, not worth much at all, and I'm afraid that's going to mean it will probably be passed up by a lot of people. Yeah, so now on to the peripherals, which are really the main event about the Wii U, if we're being honest. It's all about this new tablet controller, and so that's the main thing. It's got a 6.2-inch screen, which is, I think, a very awkward zone. It's just outside the biggest smartphones, like the Samsung Galaxy Note, where they're about 5.3 inches or so. But it's just below the smallest tablets, like the Kindle Fire or the Google Nexus 7, which start around 7, 7.5 inches. And so it's a form factor no one is exactly used to, neither holding it in one hand and using it as a smartphone or gripping it you know, with two hands as a tablet. It's... It's kind of too small for that. Um, perhaps it will feel more natural because your hands are actually further apart and gripping the buttons and thumbsticks. And that's the part I'm missing here. But it has speakers. Why? That befuddles me. It's going to sound tin and thinny, most likely. Thin and tinny, most likely. Yeah, I mean, Simon, to be fair, the Wii controller also had speakers in it. But I would just like to point out that was probably the most annoying thing about the Wii. Playing Mario Party or Mario Kart or something like that and just having like, or just whatever, making random noises out of your fucking controller. Random moments in time. It's maddening. And I don't think it's going to be much better in this phone, tablet, quasi-in-between controller thing. Yeah, so... That um, This is my next point, is that the speakers probably constantly saying more things now because there's actual content on the screen. That, combined with the power to run a screen, the touch screen, and you're gonna, it's going to be connected through wireless connection. You're going to be chatting on it. There will be video on it and actually processing part of the game, I believe. So instead of the months of use that you are used to, on controllers and I think the Wii U mo the Wii modes included is this going to be akin more to a smartphone where you have a daily charge right it runs out oh by uh, six o'clock you've got 30% left crap or a tablet with a weekly charge 
how inconvenient would that be for you, the user? Would that dissuade you from using it very much? Because it's like, oh, I've been playing for a few hours, and oh, it's, it's dead, so I've got to charge it up again. Um, that's a question we're posing to you. But let's cut to the chase. Our listeners are most likely not going to be drawing flowers or petting dogs with the stylus on the touch screen. And hardcore games mostly going to be uh, done using the Pro Controller. And even hardcore games like Zombie U, which is actually a very interesting game, I'm actually really excited to see uh, how that one pans out, um, has multiplayer wherein one person uses the tablet controller and another person uses the boring regular controller, right? And that's the other problem uh, I mentioned briefly last week when we discussed pricing of the Wii U. If you want to play these innovative new games with your friends, you can't because no launch games support using more than one tablet controller. And so some eventually will allow two, maybe more in the future. But for the foreseeable future, there will be no like four-person Mario Kart using the touchscreen in some interesting way, like as the mini-map or to fire the power-ups you pick up at people. And so, if you want any decent hardcore gaming, you're going to need several Pro Controllers. If you're downloading DLC for these hardcore games and taking up lots of space, like on the PS3 or 360, then give up another $70 for a decent external hard drive to store it all, because you don't have any space on the hard drive of the device. And so, these are all external costs we mentioned above and now this is where they start coming in, right? And um, that's really unfortunate because the Wii U costs more than the original Wii. Specs are not as great. The games now achieve parity pricing with the Xbox, and you have to buy a hard drive. The controllers will let slide because that's something you'll need for an Xbox or PS3. There's no getting around that. But there's two types of controllers now. And if we're going to assume that you want to have another gamepad, then you're going to be buying two ty- multiple of two types of controllers. And these costs you don't see when you see that price tag of $250, $300. Whereas with the Xbox, most of those price are, prices are built in. Unless, I don't even think any Xbox comes without a hard drive at this point. And most come with a pretty decent sized one that you can get by on. As for the, I mean, as for the controller, you are going to have to go out and buy extra ones, but as you say, Simon, you're not going to have to get two different kinds of controllers. The only choices you have on the Xbox are do you want a wired or a wireless? And I mean, you could you could get a wireless one and it's a bit cheaper. So that's another way of cutting a cost there. But I do think it's those invisible costs that add up that are really just going to price the Wii U out of that sort of gimmicky, uh, we'll try it for a laugh kind of purchase, which is what the original Wii really banked on in terms of sales. Yeah, and um, all of this, uh, buying all these peripherals and basically trying to create an Xbox that's essentially less compelling, it reminds me very closely of all these people who are trying to, I think, very foolishly 
contort themselves into using an iPad for extensive productivity by downloading a very stripped-down Office app, then attaching a wireless keyboard and probably a case as well that fits with the wireless keyboard, managing to create the same thing as a laptop, but less compelling and ultimately more expensive if you think about it. iPads starting around $500, $600, uh, the case costing about $30, $40, the keyboard costing about $70, $80. Suddenly, that's decent Ultrabook laptop territory. Why would you do that? There's no reason for it. And so I think this is kind of the same thing, analogous in a gaming sense. And in addition, the Pro Controller, which you're going to be using for multiplayer games like Assassin's Creed, Call of Duty, and Mass Effect, has been mentioned to be a very cheap feeling uh, and a blatant copy of an Xbox controller. But again, as Nintendo seems to have done, made it more plasticky, less compelling. This might be the tagline of the Wii U, more plasticky, less compelling. Yeah, I mean, hopefully this go-around, Simon, we're not going to see the plethora of add-ons and additions that we saw with the Wiimote, where you add on the nunchuck and the gun and the wheel and the steering wheel and the golf club and the football and the whatever specific peripheral you needed for each Wii Sports game or new Wii game. You have to go out and buy a $20, $30, $40 peripheral just to clip it onto your controller and hopefully not chuck into your TV. Yeah. Also, I would like to mention that the Kinect has pretty much obviated the use for the Wii Fit, right? Because the Wii Fit specifically relied on both a combination of, I think a combination of the Wiimote and the, the board, but Kinect does it without even requiring the board. So just we need less peripherals, people. Just less. More wireless. Right? And honestly, just more efficiency. Roll it all into one, like the Connect. Yeah. Okay, so now on to software and games. You can't help but feel there's going to be a, just a clear problem when the next generation competition once again just blows past the Wii U's capabilities. And... Hardcore games have never been good to the Wii, especially in terms of turning and responding quickly, right? You're in Call of Duty, you're getting hit from the right side, and so you point your Wiimote at the screen, and you turn, but as soon as you are out of range of the sensor bar, you stop turning, and then you die, right? Not very conducive to veteran difficulty runs, if I might say. And so we might also see developers tire of having to try and make contrived reasons to put stuff on the second screen because we already know that developers got pretty exhausted by having to think of reasons to wiggle the Wiimote around a lot in hardcore games where on a straight-up PlayStation or Xbox, there's no need for that. And they might conversely energize them and encourage innovation but I'm not entirely convinced about that because it's going to be a unique thing for the Wii that 
they're going to have to devote resources and a team to to go out of their way to try and think of some reason why we might use that second screen. And as we discussed in the short takes, and I think this is going to be a recurring theme throughout this discussion about whether the Wii U is successful or not as a console in our minds, they're going after hardcore gamers, but they haven't given us compelling reasons to jump ship and go to the Wii for those games. They're trying so hard to get games like Assassin's Creed, Mass Effect, Call of Duty, and Bayonetta 2 as an exclusive, but Nintendo has never really had a serious online service, and the infrastructure really is just getting put together. And, as I said, there's no clear reason, no wow factor distinction that just pulls me into using the Nintendo Network and the Wii eShop over Xbox Live or PSN, right? I don't sit there and watch. I see this promotional video. Oh, my God. That is why that being some random reason, abstract reason, that is better. That is why I need the Wii U. I need it right now. I need to go to GameStop. I need to pre-order it. I need to punch out everyone else in line to get this. Right? They're also trying for social play with the with the Miiverse, which is the first thing that you'll see when they start up the console, so it's obvious what they're trying to do there. They're trying to create another social network because we know how, that, how well that goes these days when you try and create your own social network. Um, and the option to start games and other kind of important things like that is going to be relegated to your second screen, so the little tablet on your lap. And, I mean, Simon, as we've seen with the Xbox, it's not like the Wii is the only console that is shifting away from solely gaming, but the fact that it's not even on the main screen, it's not even an option, sort of shows you that even though they might at first look like they're trying to court hardcore gamers, they're really not. They're not doing anything that would convince any sort of hardcore gamer to make the switch and give it a go. Right, and I think Facebook and Twitter on the Xbox, you download the apps, you have to go into those apps and use them. It's, I, I have never done it, and it has probably not worthless if I have a smartphone that can do the same thing ten times faster, right, if I just want to send out a tweet or something like that. And the, you'll be able to chat in Miiverse pretty consistently, even when in games, though. So perhaps Nintendo will be able to leverage the fact that people are now generally pretty comfortable and probably actually pretty proficient at tapping out messages on touchscreens, right? That's going to be a natural feeling to you. But it's not instant, and so here's another example of two, one step forward, two steps back. Nintendo's decided that they're going to try the monumentally noble task of policing messages before they get sent or posted, trying to filter for spoilers or swear words or inappropriate content, whatever, 
and it might even take up to 30 minutes before your post becomes visible, right? That's, that defeats the purpose of social, that instant no, you know, notification that you just got out there. 30 minutes, that's a severe damper on it. Yeah, I mean, in World War II, when soldiers were sending letters back home and they had to go through censoring, they weren't putting in this thing like, hey, I'm going to be over here in five minutes, you want to meet me there. They were putting in important information because they knew it was going to take forever for that letter to get there, and so only relevant information would be in there. However, when I'm on Xbox Live or when I'm at a friend's house using PSN to send a message, I'm generally not updating them on what's going on in the world. I'm saying, hey, do you want to play this game in a minute? Or do you want to join a party? Or whatever. But it's all these very sort of in-the-moment kind of decisions or conversations. And that policing system seems to just sort of kill that. Yeah, so that's system software, and we're going to move a half step onto the, the sorts of entertainment services that you're going to get. Now, there's the usual suspects. It sounds like in Casablanca, we just got to round them up. They are all here. It's Netflix, Hulu Plus, Amazon Video, and YouTube. Now, there's, there's also this thing called TV where the V has two eyes after it. Ah, I see what you did there, Nintendo. That's very clever. Which is sort of like a more robust version of the Bing search on Xbox. And so basically what it does is um, you put in what you want and it combs across all of these services trying to find either what you want or compare the services if multiple services have the same thing that you want. It also goes through your cable network, which isn't going to be complicated or fraught with probably legal implications whatsoever. Um, and it'll have parity with Xbox's smart glass by providing reviews or content from places like Wikipedia or IMDb on your second screen. And Nintendo say it'll be much more efficient than smart glass because you can see everything comments seamlessly using Twitter, Facebook, or Meverse. But my counter-argument to that is you're probably using a Windows 8 tablet, which is what you're going to be using uh, for smart glass. So with Windows 8, you can snap two Metro apps to either side of your screen, snap a social app to one side, smart glass to the other. End of story. You could also search the Internet or do plenty of other things using that tablet at the same time. Even better. So, in my mind, the Xbox and even the PlayStation can handily defeat whatever the Wii U can muster on that front. It's disappointing. But, Simon, what about the cloud? Because we heard earlier from that listener that Sony and Microsoft have both already started preparing for cloud gaming. They've, you know, they've made their play. They've gone out and got their systems, found their champions, you know, they're, they're getting them ready for that fight. And they already have cloud storage for their games. But Nintendo's cloud service is going to be released next year. I mean, is this just another hit in a long line of blows to any kind of chance for hardcore gamers deciding whether to jump on board with this service? 
Yeah, so they're going to be late to the game, which is ironic, because right now they're early to the game. But in terms of cloud gaming, it seems like they're already behind. Because, yeah, that listener said, Sony's bought Gaikai, Microsoft's partnered with Agawi, and he he did leave it open to the door that Nintendo could work out a deal with OnLive. I don't know. Maybe we'll see something totally crazy happen. Um, but, yeah, so... I'm on PS like either if I'm on PSN or I'm on Xbox Live, if I have PlayStation Plus or Xbox Live Gold, I get either 512 for Xbox, 512 megabytes, or uh, I believe a gigabyte for PlayStation. Excellent. So now what? I I want to if I want to jump over to the Wii, and I want my saves, my profile to be anywhere with me at any time, that's not going to happen, right? I I just moved from Atlanta to D.C., and I don't have my Xbox with me, but someone else has their Xbox with me. So I used my profile, uh, recovered it to this Xbox here, downloaded Minecraft because that's attached to my profile, and I pulled my cloud save game just that easy. I would not have been able to do that with the Wii for until sometime next year, and that would have been a killer for me. So next, Simon, I think we can uh, take a look at Nintendo's marketing of the Wii, and we're going to go ahead and include this with all the links, but there's an article from uh, Game Games Industry, and... It's kind of interesting because it has, honestly, a pretty damning statistic because it shows comprehensively how the iPhone 5 has completely dominated the Wii U in terms of media buzz in recent weeks, as well as marketing excitement. They also, in this article, go on to show that even coming off of the big launch lineup announcement, it was still given a little bit less lip service by the press than the iPhone because all of the press are just going nuts about Apple's newest release. Yeah, and the final silver lining that they gave was that selling out and positive reception afterwards gave the Wii, or the original Wii, a boost that propelled holiday sales, made it uh, the best-selling console for several months on end. But I'm not convinced, because... This time, Nintendo withheld important information and details about the product that until just recently, and really has not done very much at all to promote their product, right? So information about like these TV services, these entertainment services, the system software, um, and pricing and release date, right? If they had gotten it out earlier, people would have been probably able to generate organic buzz about it but now they played right into the iphone news cycle where they're getting swamped right they're getting smothered by the iphone's excitement so this takes us into actual sales right and i think alex now we have to have a reality check because despite all our doubts and the problems we've raised with the console, it's apparently still selling like hotcakes. So much so that GameStop and most other physical retail have stopped taking pre-orders and started wait lists. 
I really, really want to know who these people are that are ordering it and why they're super excited, right? Maybe Nintendo fanboys are just ordering a couple each to boost up the sales and keep Nintendo going? I mean, I, I, I don't know. Honestly, Simon, I don't think I could answer that question because, I don't know, is it hardcore gamers who are going to try and give it a chance? Um, I, I mean, I don't know. If if you are listening and you are a hardcore gamer who's pre-ordered it and is going to give it a try and see how it is, uh, I mean, let us know both why you're doing that and uh, also let us know how it goes. But also, I mean, the alternative is, you know, is it people who just bought the original Wii and say, hey, we'll go ahead and get the next one. I've been happy with this Wii. And uh, I don't know. What do you think, Simon? Well, if it's those people who bought the original Wii, I'm pretty sure they're all, they're suffering from the Wii syndrome, which is you bought it, and you played it really excitedly for the first few weeks, then it tapered off, then you unplugged it and let it collect dust, and then whenever there's a party, you take it out again, you play the games, have fun with your friends, wiggling around the Wiimote controllers, and then it goes back in the closet again. And so the people who bought it that first time, these people, knowing that, what is the appeal of, buying the next one is it the tablet that looks familiar to them now it looks like innovation to them perhaps are they buying it off the good memories that they had and maybe this will bring more of them i'm also reminded of a really funny video on the internet now there's a comedian interviewing iphone 5 lines and he's getting some pretty stupid answers in response for why people are in this line, what they think is new, and so many of the people are just saying, oh, yo, my friend's getting one, or it's Apple. A lot of them just flat out saying, you know what, I have no fucking clue why I'm standing here, right? It's just the iPhone, right? It's the new one, so you're going to go get it. You have to get it, right? Just for that reason. And at this point... I'm also convinced that selling out, quote, selling out of something, it's a completely BS term. It's just used to hype demand, psychologically influence people into thinking that the item is more popular than it actually is. Yeah, I mean, if, say, you stocked 50 boxes of something, like, say, that, you know, there's two stores. One store stocks 50 boxes of something, and the other store stocks, you know, 55 or 60 or 70, something like that. If the first store sells all 50 of theirs, they can say, oh, they sold out. Wow, well, you know, look at that. They sold out of all their stuff. Whereas the other one sold 50, but they still have stuff left over. And it's like, oh, you know, wasn't a very good day for them. They both still sold the same amount, but it's all just m- manipulation of numbers. Yeah, it's a psychological game. And a lot of financial analysts are already skeptical of these numbers. They're saying that... Nintendo probably is constraining the supply chain, withholding additional units, just so they can say, look, it's sold out at all retailers, both online and physical, right? How great is that? There are no numbers behind that, right? So nothing solid to back that up. Just, quote, this amorphous sold out. Though they do need to be careful with that, Simon, because... 
in a product such as theirs that is so reliant on sort of a whim or just in the moment purchase, if it's not available in that moment, there's a pretty strong likelihood they can lose out on some sales. So they're playing with fire. Yeah, and uh, there are people who (laughs) clearly want this but now can't get it because it's out of stock. And what disservice are you doing to them in that case, right? Um, I just want to take a brief tangent onto the iPhone and how it's always sold out. Okay, so I understand the iPhone is just plain popular, right? But you'd think they'd actually make and distribute enough this time. Like, Christ, you'd think by the fifth time they'd understand a ton of people want this thing. You don't need to say, it, oh, it's sold out again. You're just going to have to wait two weeks. We already know it's popular, and we already know you're making enough to satisfy that demand, right? The psychological bump does nothing. And in fact, it might have actually hindered where most analysts were expecting to sell Apple to sell six to eight, some people, some crazy people, expecting 10 million iPhones to sell in the first week or so. They under they sold below that about five million, and their stock price fell because of it. I mean, you know, it's a pretty simple solution. I mean, come on, Simon. If we think about it, for the price they're charging for this iPhone, they probably could have opened up another plant in China and just made more of them. It's not like it's costing them that much. Yes. Uh, so let's let's move on to our final thoughts about the Wii U. Okay, you, you just get the feeling that Nintendo is blowing hot and cold about courting hardcore gamers. Yeah, I mean, they, they keep saying, oh, no, we're definitely in it. You know, we can definitely, or sorry, we, you can definitely support hardcore gamers. We're going to have all these AAA titles. If you can play them, they'll be just as good as the Xbox or PlayStation or even they'll be better, yada, 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 whatever it is. But at the same time, they say all this, but everything they've done points to the opposite and I you know they can say whatever they want I have yet to see anything that will thoroughly convince me that the Wii U will be in any way comparable let alone superior to the PlayStation 4 or the next Xbox in terms of hardcore games right cross-platform games on an online service that currently has no people on it right has no credit like hardcore gaming credibility um, lack of cloud saves, a pro controller that, for all intents and purposes, is a copy of the Xbox and just feels less solid in your hand, less material. Um, just all of these problems. And even for casual gamers, I see those people who want the entertainment services, right? If you wanted entertainment services... Xbox has got about 50 times the amount that um, that Nintendo has. This one's pretty pedestrian in terms of what it offers. It offers the usual slate. Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, YouTube, right? And so there is nothing that stands out, as I made a big point of um, in the services section. So the... In total, I think the Wii U really is trying to achieve parity with the current generation competition, not even the next generation, 
the current generation for all the wrong reasons, right? We achieve parity on price and what else? Almost achieved parity on specs, not really. But it doesn't address the key issues. And the marketing is a bust. Most are skeptical of the hype surrounding the sellouts at online and physical retail, we just said. But there's one final thing, one last saving grace that we have not considered until this point. Nintendo games, Mario, Zelda, Pokemon, all these Nintendo-exclusive franchises, Metroid, you know, Mario Kart, Super Smash Bros., all these things that just keep driving on the Nintendo engine. They're all still exclusive, and they'll all only be on the Wii U this go-round. Yeah, that's... It's, it's, this is going to test the nostalgia factor and the loyalty factor that has driven Nintendo for so long now. Right, This console is really going to put that to the test because it's going to be a significant investment and it's very different. Right, We can belabor the un- underwhelming specs and the iPhone's popularity, but people are probably going to buy the new Super Mario Wii U and every single other one after that just as predictably. Right, So that's, our, that's the conclusion of our thoughts on the Wii U. And we're going to go now into our Game Minder segment, where we talk about all the games that are going to be coming out before the next game is, or the next podcast is released, about two weeks from now. And so, obviously, we have on Tuesday, October 2nd, Resident Evil 6. Ooh for uh, PS3 and Xbox. That's really interesting. Um, I'm looking forward to it, and now uh, John has obviously preparing, I think, to make a guide for that. We have a lot of features, like previously on Resident Evil, a lot of features on the website coming up, so that's definitely exciting to look at. And we also have Pokemon Black and White version 2, both coming out on... Sunday, October 7th, for the 3DS and the DS. Um, eh, we'll see. Right? I think they're running out of ideas there. They've used up every single color at this point, and now they're just fishing for ideas. Um, there's Fable, The Journey, which is going to be, I believe, um, a new Connect title. For Fable, it's a standalone separate from the main series, which is really interesting because this is, I think, the first one since Peter Molyneux left Lionhead. So we'll see where it goes without his uh, creative vision. And um, that's the sum total of the games that we're, I'm interested in. Alex, you got anything to add to that? Not, not really, Simon. That that pretty much sums it up. I mean, we're going to be doing. One more podcast before we really get into the thick of things with games like Assassin's Creed, um, the next Medal of Honor, and Dishonored. Um, actually, never mind, no, Dishonored is coming out in 
just about a week's time. Uh, totally missed that, but that's actually coming out on uh, Tuesday, October 9th, and that's going to be, uh, I think, pretty interesting. I'm excited for it. I'm a, I'm a little worried because it is uh, a game published by Bethesda, but not made by the team behind like Skyrim, Fallout, Oblivion, those guys. And we've seen where that's gone wrong before, but from everything uh, that the way it's been described, it looks like it could be a fantastic game if it's been done correctly. So, fingers crossed. Right. And so, we're moving on from that. Now to our second topic of this week, which is, is it the end of the consoles as we know them? Yeah, it's Simon getting his, uh, his REM fix in there. But, uh, yeah, in an article... I was I was reading a couple of weeks back. There was a general manager at Nvidia, the uh, the famous graphics card makers, and he said that he believes that this upcoming generation of consoles is going to be the last, the final one. He believes that cloud gaming is going to replace the quote unquote traditional console, i.e., that box we have in our living room and plugged into our TV where we put discs and whatever into. And he's making the argument that while the current console generation is, you know, getting on in years or closer to 10 years in this generation than five, I think by the time we finally transfer the next, it's going to be something like eight or nine years into this generation. Now, conversely to that, a cloud gaming service gets can be updated every year, every six months, however often it needs to be, because all the actual infrastructure is on the server side and not actually in your home. And you know, it's a it's a it's a valid point he makes cuz he, you know, he believes that the recent problems with services like OnLive are not indicative of the ultimate viability of cloud gaming. And he's actually pointing out some of the things we were uh, mentioning earlier with uh, Sony investing 380 million dollars in uh Gaike, Simon. I'm still I still can't say it. But uh, now, uh, while we have in the past called Sony's judgment into question a little bit, I mean, you can see uh, last Friday's short takes uh, for the most recent example of this, there is the valid point that, you know, if they're going to put a lot of investment into this technology, there's something there. However, I mean, for me at least, this next console generation, unless it takes a ridiculously long time, like I'm talking longer than this current cycle has been. And also, in that time, if we see a major improvement in internet infrastructure with huge boosts to download and upload speeds, uh, massive bandwidth caps with little or no restriction, etc., etc., only then can I see an entirely cloud-based service be completely viable. Because otherwise, it's just, it's not all there. Yeah, and this will really, well, this premise is beholden to the, basically, the whims of the cable giants, right? AT&T, Comcast, Time Warner, the people who deliver your internet. Whether they'll see fit to allow all you can stream to take place, right? That's very questionable given the way we're currently moving 
in, towards a very capped uh, industry, saying you have hard caps on a lot of things, and especially people who download or stream a ton of data, which I think is going to be pretty common if this takes off, they, their speeds are getting throttled to like near zero, right? Then, as you said, the entirely cloud-based service becomes called, the viability becomes called into question. Right now, I think because there is so little of it, it's able to fly under the radar, kind of as OnLife has done for so long, but it's that flying under the radar that caused them to go into bankruptcy because they just couldn't get the support behind it. And so it is a very interesting paradox. Well, if it becomes popular enough, tele, uh, the cable industry or the cable giants will notice and they'll cap us, so, and that'll destroy our business model. But if we don't get enough people and they don't notice us and they don't restrict data yet, we won't get enough people to reach that critical mass where we become profitable and come survive and can survive and our business model will fail. So it's it's ultimately the cable giant's game. And I mean on top of all these other things, Simon, on top you know, you have to have all these ducks fall in line. You gotta have quick internet, you have to have the available bandwidth have to have the proper infrastructure on the server side, all those things. Some people still just don't like having all their information stored in the cloud. Some people just like having that hard physical copy, being able to see it, being able to access it on their own. And I honestly, I don't think we've reached the point where that group of people is A, a minority, or B, if they are a minority, if it's small enough of one, that it can be ignored. I don't think we're at that point, and so therefore... Don't think that uh, this will be the last generation of consoles. I don't know, Simon. Do you have uh, any other thoughts on that? Um, it might because well, let me provide an example. Um, there's Bellwether. I think that's pretty indicative, which is Microsoft Office. Right? Everyone uses Microsoft Office. Everyone has to use Microsoft Office at some point to get some kind of work done. Now, for this next generation, Office 2013. They are offering Office 2013 as a boxed and CD version, but they're also offering this service, this cloud service that you subscribe to every month for a little bit a month called Office 365 uh, Home Premium, which is basically you get, you lease a copy of Office and you download it to whatever computer and it syncs with SkyDrive and the like. Um, and you get five licenses uh, to put on any computer. But, Simon, they are still selling that physical copy, so it's not like this is the last version, or it's not like you know, Office 2010 was the, or 2012 was the last version of Word to come with a physical edition. Right, so what I'm trying to get across uh, here is that I don't yet feel comfortable about going subscription, going cloud, getting Office 365 yet. I'm going to stick with Office 2013, the physical edition, probably for one more generation. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, like I was, what the point I was trying to make, Simon, is that I'm not saying that cloud-based services aren't going to be used at all. 
I'm just saying I don't think they're going to be the thing, the exclusive way that people access content in this in this way. Yeah, and I don't I don't think so either yet. Um, but this last generation of consoles, it could be. And again, this is dependent. The last generation of consoles, just as much as the proposed after next gen is so beholden to internet service providers, this generation is completely dependent on, the lifespan is dependent on how much of a spec boost these consoles get, right? I've already seen disappointing figures with the Wii U, and there is a possibility that Sony and Microsoft could disappoint, but if they're if we assume that they are inherently reasonable they will offer a significant spec jump probably at a premium i'm expecting to pay 400 to 450 dollars for the first iteration of the brand new console right? let's be honest um if they do that then i think they can make it last as long as this console generation or perhaps even longer because what we're seeing right now is a, a very much a plateauing of peak processor performance. I, I, I know that Core i7 extremes continue to be made that push it, but we're not seeing the increase across the 3 gigahertz spectrum nearly as fast as we saw the race up the 2 gigahertz spectrum. Um, and... Really, we're just creating ways to make them smaller and more efficient. The same processing power for smaller and more efficient. We're not breaking new processor performance ground very much at all. And so that's why I think this console generation has far more longevity. And there's another thing we need to consider, right? The games that originally launched with the 360 and PS3 look nothing like the games that are coming out now for the 360 and PlayStation. The, the developers have gotten so good at squeezing and wringing every last, uh, basically, ounce of power out of these consoles. And I think that by the time we reach seven, eight years in this next generation console, I mean, we'll be seeing something unbelievable as... Developers really master the ins and outs of maximizing the hardware on that next generation. Yep. Well, fair points there, Simon. So unless you have any other closing thoughts, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. And if you guys have any thoughts or comments, etc., go ahead and comment below. Send us an email. Send us a tweet what have you. We love to interact in whatever way you guys want to. And yeah, thanks for listening.